0: amen lord indeed great is your faithfulness lord we can't even fathom the depths of it lord and father you are faithful when we are faithless and lord you're such a loving and a gracious and a merciful god we just love you and we praise you lord and we thank you for the transforming work you've done in our lives and lord we come this morning because we want to know you better We come to worship You, to magnify Your name, but Lord, to also have You touch us by Your Spirit and transform us more into Your image. So Lord, we ask as we go to Your Word that You would be our teacher, that You would minister to every heart that is here. We'd be ready to receive what You have for us this morning. We ask these things in Your holy and Your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Uh, Just to reiterate what Pastor Mike said, hey, here's my heart, just so you know as your pastor, I don't want anybody teaching the kids that doesn't feel called to do it. Don't do it because you feel guilty or, you know what, our kids, God has a calling on people's lives in this building to minister to them who will do it with a calling and a heart of love for them. Amen? That's what we want for our children, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So let's be praying that God would raise up those who would have as, just as much a burden of passion to teach them as anybody else does to teach anybody here. You know, there's nothing greater, I think, than to see someone with a burden for kids who would pray for the children by name. You guys have heard the story. I got saved in Mrs. Green's Sunday school, four- and five-year-old class in 1968 at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. And I don't know for sure, but I might have an idea. She's probably in heaven now, because she seemed old to me then, but who knows, she might have been 40, I don't know. <laughs> I think she was older than that. But she had been ministering to kids for decades, and you know what? This church is fruit of her ministry, because she faithfully taught the four- and five-year-olds. And so my heart is that our children's ministry would be filled up with Mrs. Greens. We've got a lot of them already. I praise God for those who teach our children. So be praying about that. We want to just be faithful to the calling God's got in our life. All right, well, this morning we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Pray for your pastor, because every week I think I'm going to teach like 35 verses, (laughs) and it just never happens. So the good news is we're going verse by verse through the Bible, and when I get to about 40 pages of notes, I know it's time to stop, and so... This morning, we're not going to look at 35 verses, but more like six, but, but uh, we're going to pick up in verse eight, but I want to catch us up and, and bring us up to speed. And I, and I titled the message this morning, if you're a note taker, keeping the main thing the main thing. And in the body of Christ, we need to do that. As we walk with the Lord, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. As we've discussed in the last couple of weeks, just to bring context, as we come to 2 Timothy, this is a time of great persecution in the church. For both the one who wrote the letter, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, who is sitting in a prison, chained up in a cold, dark cave, about to be be, uh, martyred for his faith, about to be put to death. And he's writing this letter to Timothy, his son in the faith, who is the pastor in Ephesus, who is ministering to this young body of believers at the time when Christians were being fed to wild animals, being covered in pitch and set on fire for simply standing up for the gospel of Christ. This was a a time of great persecution, a time of great difficulty, and a time of a great falling away, as many were falling away from the Lord. They were falling away from the Lord because when persecution comes, the lukewarm don't stand around very long. You find out where you are with Christ when the the heat gets turned up, and when the heat has been turned up, and people are walking away, and it's in the midst of all that that Paul is writing this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. Now if we remember about Timothy, he was a man who was both often fearful and timid. Now what should be an encouragement to all of us, is that God used Timothy in a mighty way. And so you might be sitting there saying, well, I'm sometimes fearful, and maybe my personality isn't real bold, and I can be a little bit on the timid side. Well, the good news is that God can use us in spite of us, amen? He doesn't use us because of our great personalities, or we're so charismatic. You know, God's not looking for ability, but availability. And if we're available, and we say, here I am, Lord, use me, God will use us every single time. And Timothy was a man who was fearful and timid, but he was a man who trusted in God. And in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his timidity, he would turn to the Lord and God would strengthen him. Now, this is the time of Caesar Nero. As we know, he had burnt Rome to the ground and he had blamed it on the Christians. He had caused all of the people to turn against the Christians. And so for anybody who stood for the Lord, there could have been no more difficult a time. Now, one thing to make a commitment to Christ and to say that we will follow Him, and it's yet another thing to make Him more than just your Savior, but your Lord. It's one thing to say, yeah, be my Savior. You're at a, maybe you're at a friend's house and they share the Lord with you, or maybe you see a, someone on television, or you go to Billy Graham Crusade, or maybe here at Calvary Santa Cruz, you were brought by a friend, and when you heard, hey, you'll, you know, hell, heaven, let me think. I, I think I'll choose heaven. Heaven sounds better. Heaven sounds better than hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth, separation from God for all eternity, and and eternal torment, or hanging out with God in streets paved with gold. I think I'll choose the heaven place, right? But the truth is, guys, it's more than just choosing Him to be our Savior and getting the get out of hell free card, but truly we must make Him Lord. Because if He's only Savior, and if the only impact He's going to have on us is in the future... Well, I'm hanging on to Him so that when I die and I stand before Him on Judgment Day, I can remind Him of when I prayed with the pastor to receive Him as my Savior. That's going to be my trump card in my wallet, but I'm just going to live like the world. Guys, if you're living that way, you're not a Christian. Christianity means a transformation of life. And what happened when the persecution came was we found out, Timothy found out, those within his church who just had the get out of hell free card. Those who just were calling on Jesus to be Savior, but had not made Him Lord. Because guys, if, you, he, if He is not your Lord, you will walk away in times of difficulty. But if He is your Lord, you will run to Him in times of difficulty. You will cry out to Him. You will hold on to Him even firmer than before. It's one thing to say, oh, I'll become a Christian. I guess it couldn't hurt. I'll give it a shot. See how that works out for me. And it's another thing to say, you're my Lord, no matter what. I put you on the throne of my life. I'm going to follow you because I trust you and I love you. To give Him more than just permission to save you from hell, but to rule and reign in your life. To deny ourselves, our will, our passions, to take up the cross, to follow Him. And the time again that this letter was written, many of those so-called Christians were turning away because they feared man more than they feared God. They were more worried about what men could do to them than standing before Almighty God one day. Even Pastor Timothy was struggling with this fear, but as we saw in chapter 1, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. People say that's really trite to say that, but that's what the Bible says, amen? But I struggle with fear. Well, you know, we all do, to varying degrees, but guys, that doesn't come from God. And it's not a pill that's going to deliver us from fear. It's the spirit of the living God, amen, who will deliver us from those struggles and those trials and those difficulties of life. The positive aspects of persecution, and there are some before we get to the text, you know, persecution isn't all bad. If it was, God wouldn't allow it, amen. He allows it because there are good things that come from it. You know, it forces the lukewarm believer to make a choice. Jesus said, Be hot or cold, if you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's what the Word of God says. Be hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Boy, Pastor Dave, that's just kind of narrow. You mean i got to be sold out for God? Yes. He was sold out for you. Amen? He didn't die a little bit for you. He laid down His life completely for you. Amen? Should He expect any less from us? Let's live our lives sold out and set apart to Him. Persecution deepens our faith. It makes us more desperate and dependent upon God. And that's a great thing. To be dependent, to be desperate. Faithfulness in the faith, faith of such persecution also turns our test into a testimony. As we're going to see in this morning's text, it goes from just impacting our lives, but having an impact on others. The time that you are the greatest testimony to the world is not when you're on the cruise ship to heaven and everything's perfect, but how you respond when everything is going sideways. People look and they see, and they find out who you put your faith in. So this morning's text, we're going to continue to learn from God's Word how we can remain faithful so in the first chapter we saw living a life that would impact eternity we talked about those things grab the the tapes or cds they're always free they always will be help yourself but we talked about being a man or woman of prayer passing your faith on to the next generation allowing God to stir up the gift within you not being ashamed of your testimony and then last week as we got to chapter two and looked at the first seven verses we looked at how to be strong in grace How to persevere in the face of great oppositions. And he gave us four examples, and I love these examples. And again, grab the CD if you weren't here. The first example was a teacher. And he said, be like the teacher. A teacher is someone who makes disciples. If we're walking with the Lord, we should be given ministry away. You know, my heart is not that there'd be a few ministering to the many, but there would be many ministering to the few. That we'd all be active in using the gifts God's given us, and he's telling them, you want to stand strong in the face of opposition, you need to be one who is discipling others and giving ministry away. The second example he used last week was that of a soldier. Guys, we are in a spiritual battle, amen? Every single day, the Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places, and guys, you cannot win this battle just by you trying harder. I'm going to buck up and just try harder. That's not going to work. You know what? We need less of us and more of Him if we're going to have victory in this battle. Amen? Daily we must be filled with the Spirit of the living God because without Him we can do nothing. And the soldier had to stay focused on the task at hand because his life was at stake and so were the lives of those around him. Could there be anything less true said of us? Because our lives are at stake and so too are the lives of the people around us eternity is hanging in the balance you guys may we not be ashamed of the gospel may we not be shy about our faith because when this time has come and passed only what we've done for christ will last nothing else is going to matter so be like the teacher giving ministry away be like the soldier focused on the task at hand then he said be like the athlete one who's obedient to follow the rules as i said last week imagine if an athlete you know just cut across the middle of the track halfway through the race He might come in first, but he's not going to win any prizes. People probably throw eggs at him or something, right? You know what? God's given us rules for this walk, and you're holding it in your lap. It's the Word of God that we are to follow. He gives us direction for our lives. Guys, the Bible is not a book of rules to keep us from fun. It's a living, breathing Word of God that we might have an abundant life walking in the center of His will. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Spend time in God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then lastly, he gave the example of a farmer. A farmer is hardworking and patient. He faithfully serves in anonymity. He's serving when no one else knows it. This is a sign of someone to me who's really called. Someone who'll serve and nobody knows it. I can't tell you how blessed I am by so many in this body who serve when nobody knows it. The other thing it says of the farmer, and this is a great exhortation, remember this is a pastoral epistle written to pastors. Probably one of the reasons I'm going so slow through these texts is they minister to me so much as a pastor because this is written with pastors in mind, but it certainly applies to every believer. But one of the things he says of the farmer, he must be the first one to partake of the crops. Which means before the farmer can feed others, he must first feed himself so he'll be strong enough to feed others. This is a great picture not only for pastors. If I am to feed you, I must first feed myself. If I don't have intimate fellowship with the Lord, I have nothing to give you. And the same is true for all of us. We must first feed on the Word of God, be fed by Him that we might minister to others. If you find you have nothing to say when you're sharing your faith, it's because you're not spending enough time with the Lord. Amen? If we spend time with Him, we can't help but talk about Him. Don't you remember when you, you know, if you're, if you're married here, when you first met your wife, you couldn't wait for people to meet her? You just can't wait. You know why? And you love to talk about her. I love to bring her to work, bring my kids to work. I love people to meet my family. You know why? Because I love them. People don't have to say, well, so tell me about your family. I, I, I don't know anything about them, really. I just, I, I don't know what to say. I, I. If you've been in my office, I've got. I probably, I'm not exact, I think a hundred pictures of my family. I love my family. Now, with that being said, I love Jesus more. And the whole point is, guys, when you're in love with somebody, you got a lot to say about them. And if you spend time with the Lord, if you're feeding yourself first, if you're being that farmer, partaking of the crop first, you're going to have a lot to say about our Savior. And you're not going to be okay when they're cursing His name. And you're not going to want to be entertained by the very sins that Christ died for. Those things you're going to struggle with. Why? Because He's the one you love. So, with all that being said, we now move on to this morning's text, beginning in verse 8. Keeping the main thing the main thing. How to remain faithful in the midst of difficulties, trials, and persecution. I have just two points. Remember Jesus and remember His promises. How do you remain faithful in the midst of trials and persecution and difficulty? Remember Jesus and those he died for, and remember his promises. Those are the two points in the message. Let's pick up in verse 8. Keeping the main thing the main thing. How to remain faithful in the midst of difficulties, trials, and persecution. First, by remembering Jesus and those he died for. Look at verse 8. It says, Remember that Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting. The phrase in the the original language, the translators added the word that. So the better translation would be, remember Jesus Christ. If you walk out of here and don't remember anything else I say, remember these three words, remember Jesus Christ. No matter what's going on in life, remember Jesus Christ. He's talking to these guys who were, whose lives may be taken at any moment, times of great persecution, writing to a pastor filled with fear and timidity, again, the world crashing down around them, idolatry, sexual immorality, Christians being fed to wild animals, being set on fire, and he says to them, not run and hide, not be ashamed, not water it down, but remember jesus christ the word remember in greek means to be mindful of to call to mind to think of to hold in memory to keep in mind to make mention of timothy in the midst of persecution hold on to make mention of jesus christ having already given Him great counsel and great examples to not be ashamed, to hold fast, to be like the teacher making disciples, the soldier being focused, the athlete obeying the rules, the farmer being patient and hardworking. And with all those great exhortations, the greatest one yet is in this verse. The greatest one yet, no greater words of encouragement in all of Scripture in my mind, than these three words remember Jesus Christ the reason we struggle so much in the midst of trials and struggles and just plain or ordinary life is that we aren't mindful of him we forget Jesus why were the the apostles panicking in the storm because they were looking at the waves and they forgot that Jesus was in the boat. Jesus got in the boat and said, we're going to the other side. Now, if Jesus says it, that's it. It's happening. Amen? He said, get it. He got in the boat. Now, he is napping and they're panicking because they had their eyes on the waves when they should have had their eyes on Jesus. Amen? If they have been looking at Jesus, they would have got a pillow and taken a nap next to him. He's resting. Why should I be panicking? Guys, no matter what's going on in your life, God is in charge and he's not panicking, so why should you? He's a faithful God. He's in control. Look at Him and not the waves. In the midst of the storm, remember Jesus. When your boss is overbearing, remember Jesus. When your health is failing, remember Jesus. When your children are rebelling, remember Jesus. When your finances are running low, remember Jesus. When the opportunity arises for you to share your faith with someone else, remember Jesus. When your coworker is going through a tough time, remember Jesus. When you get passed over for a promotion that you think you deserve, remember Jesus. When the world mocks you and persecutes you for your faith, remember Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, remember Jesus. When you sit down to a meal, remember Jesus. When you're driving in your car, remember Jesus. When you see someone in need, remember Jesus. When you've been blessed with an abundance, remember Jesus. And when you're lying down to go to sleep at night, remember Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, when we get our eyes on Him, everything else fades. And nothing else is really overwhelming. No greater words of encouragement were spoken. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, remember Jesus. For Timothy again, Timothy again, the persecution is great. Believers are being martyred. False teachers are teaching lies. Many have departed from the faith. Idolatry, idolatry and immorality are surrounding him and they may be coming for him next. And he says to him, Timothy, remember Jesus. One of my favorite songs is turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. This word to Pastor Timothy and to Christians undergoing great persecution in that day is the same word for each of us this morning no matter what we're going through. Guys, if things are great, don't take your eyes off the Lord because things are great. And if things are tough, don't run from God because things are tough. No matter what's happening, no matter where you are in life, remember Jesus. Again, what what were they to remember about Jesus? Let's read on. What what were they to remember about Him? We're to remember Jesus, but there's things we are to remember about Him. Look what it says there in verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David. Now why is that significant? Because Jesus is the Messiah. The seed of David points to the one who would come, who'd been prophesied of throughout the entire Old Testament, the coming Messiah. The one who would take away the sins of the world. The one who every Old Testament sacrifice was pointing to. He is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of hundreds of Old Testament prophecies from where He would be born, how He would live, and even how He would die. Read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 sometime and tell me who that's all about. It's all about Jesus hundreds of years before He came to earth because you need to understand Jesus Christ has always been fully God. But as the seed of David, He became fully man. And He came to earth out of love for you. He loves you so much he'd rather die than live without, it, without you. He's the one and only true Messiah. And he took on humanity with all its frailties and all its infirmities. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Our Savior can relate to our every trial and difficulty. He can relate to temptation. The Bible says he was always tempted and yet without sin. You want an example for how to follow your life? You know who's the mentor you really need? His name's Jesus. Just follow Him, because everyone else will fail you. I'm not saying we shouldn't be discipled and make disciples. We should do that. But ultimately, our example, and the only example that will never fail us, is the Lord. So He's saying, remember Jesus. He's our Savior. Remember Jesus. He's the Messiah. Remember Jesus. He took on humanity. Remember Jesus. He knows our suffering, and He suffered even more than we have, or ever will. Amen? So remember Jesus. That he is of the seed of David, that he was fully man and that he's the Messiah. But also he says, remember Jesus of the seed of David was raised from the dead. Not only is he fully man, but he proved himself to be fully God by triumphing over sin and death. Many have come and claimed to be God. You know, there's a guy in Florida right now that says he's Jesus. And it's absolute comedy because I've listened to this guy teach the Bible and I didn't know Jesus forgot scripture. I didn't know Jesus could lose his place in the Bible. Matter of fact, Jesus wouldn't need the Bible because he is the word, amen? But what happens is, sadly, there's literally millions of people following this guy that when he comes out, they cry, Lord, Lord, Lord. They call him God made manifest in the flesh. All i got to say to you is, hey, bro, die and get up from the dead, and then you can talk to me about something, amen? Jesus Christ is fully man, but he proved himself to be fully God because he triumphed over sin and death. Nobody else is resurrected, amen? Buddha, dead. Hare Krishna, dead. Muhammad, dead. Charles Taze Russell, dead. Mary Baker Eddy, dead. All the other religious leaders, we can dig up their bones. Jesus Christ, risen and living Savior who triumphed over sin and death. Amen? Bend to the tomb. He's not there. It's empty. You dig up the other guy's bones, we'll find them there. We serve a risen and living Savior. Remember Jesus. He's fully man. He's the Messiah. He's the seed of David. But He's also fully God. Risen. and exalted one. Many have come claiming to be God, but Jesus alone proved it. If you've been here, when you, we, we play That's My King often. And I love when he says, death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. He triumphed over sin and death. The only reason you and I need not fear death is because Jesus triumphed over it. He's fully God. He's risen from the dead. And the resurrection is not something we can take or leave. It's sad there are churches all over Santa Cruz County right now that say the resurrection is not literal, yet they call themselves Christians. Guys, if you do not believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. Because if he's not risen, we Paul said we are the most pitiable of people. But praise God, he is risen. Amen? Easter, or better terms, Resurrection Sunday, is not about bunnies. And colored eggs. We are celebrating the fact that when they came, on the first day of the week, He wasn't there. He had risen. It's awesome because the cross is the payment, but the resurrection is the receipt. The cross paid the price for us, but the resurrection is the receipt to prove that it indeed has been paid in full. Others could say they were dying for you, but you know what? They were not without sin, so it would mean nothing. Others could say they were dying for you, but if they stayed in the ground, they would prove nothing. But Jesus came and triumphed over sin and death. So what are we to remember about Jesus? He is the seed of David, fully man. He is raised from the dead, fully God. He has triumphed over sin and death, and He has not left us alone in the midst of our trials. He has not left you alone. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is our example of how we we should respond. And He is with us in the midst of difficulties. Timothy, remember Jesus as you go through life struggles and persecution for your faith. I say to each one of you, no matter what you're going through, remember Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Have Him be the central focus of your thought life. You know what? As Christians, I truly believe this. We shouldn't have a minute go by when Jesus isn't on our mind. Run your words through the Jesus filter. Amen? Holy Spirit filter living inside of you. The entertainment through the Holy Spirit filter. The way we talk to our our spouses and our co-workers and our neighbors. The way we spend our time. The Lord is with us. Then He says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He says, my gospel. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is it your gospel? Because it's Paul's gospel because he preached it and he believed it. And it's the same gospel that belongs to each one of us. The word gospel simply means good news. Paul says, it's my good news. My good news is that I serve a risen and living Savior. And guys, we should never take that for granted. We should never take it lightly. Guys, life makes sense because we know Jesus. Life has meaning. Life has understanding. Life has direction. I can't, I, you know what, I can't imagine. Praise God, I got saved at four and a half. I can't even imagine living life without Him. I can't imagine trying to have direction for my life without Him. Timothy, remember Jesus, His humanity, His deity. Not only as you go through life, but as you proclaim the good news of the gospel. He's telling Timothy, remember the gospel, the good news, as you walk out your daily life. Remember Jesus, but also remember it as you stand up and proclaim the truth to others. Timothy, you're a pastor, and as a pastor, you need to proclaim the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of our Savior from the dead. If you don't, you are not preaching the gospel. Again, there's this thing going on in the church today that people want to take the cross out of Christianity well the cross is it's offensive so let's just talk about the seven steps to financial freedom and the three ways to overcome our anger and you know beaver doesn't live here anymore The series and you know let's just tell people how wonderful they are and you know here's the truth you're not so wonderful we're all sinners in need of a savior amen and He came that we might have life and life more abundant. But man, that's just kind of negative. No, it's not. It's the most positive thing in the world to realize, I'm a sinner, but Jesus died for me. And the worst thing I could tell you is that you're wonderful and you don't need Jesus. Guys, we need Him desperately. We can't come near to Almighty God apart from our Savior. And praise God for His love and His grace. It's not the gospel if we reject His humanity or His deity. It's not His gospel if we downplay or reject the significance of the cross. And it's not the gospel if we do not proclaim the truth of the resurrection. We don't serve a dead martyr, but a risen Savior. Others serve dead martyrs. We don't. We serve a risen Savior. The cross paid the price for our sin, and the resurrection again was the proof that the price has been paid as he triumphed over sin and death. Guys, we can't have Christ without the cross. Wages of sin is death. If there's no sacrifice, there's no redemption. If there's no resurrection, there's no promise of eternal life, our faith is in vain. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. If you reject the resurrection, you have indeed rejected the gospel. Timothy, keep the main thing the main thing. Timothy, remember Jesus. Proclaim the entire gospel without compromise. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around you. Know that God is in control and that you can trust Him. And the message you have is what they need to hear because that's the only thing that's going to change them. It's not, you know, we can be nice and kind and loving, and we should, but you know what? If we don't bring the gospel with it, what have we really done? We need to give the cup of cold water in His name that He might be glorified. Timothy, remember Jesus in times of persecution and remember Him as you proclaim the truth of the gospel. Verse 9. Now you know why I didn't get through the chapter. Verse 9. For which I suffered trouble... As an evildoer, Paul suffered and was imprisoned and would be soon put to death. Why? Because he boldly proclaimed the gospel. That's it. Now, we get bummed out if, like, people don't want to talk to us at work. Or our neighbor, not very friendly because I talked to him about Jesus and they don't want to talk to me anymore. And we think we're being persecuted. We got no clue what persecution is in this country. Amen. Amen? They get invited to the block party. They know I'm a Christian, man. I told them that. (laughs) People at work don't ask me to go to lunch when they go to the bar. Like, you'd go anyway. (laughs) Paul was persecuted because he proclaimed the gospel, and his suffering went far beyond his imprisonment. I read this to you before, but I'm going to read it to you again. It's in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more and labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, and deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and night I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily. Who wants to be an apostle? Raise your hand. This is... This is the Apostle Paul's testimony. But you know what? For him, he would later say, it is a light affliction compared to the eternal glory which is to come. That list to him was a light affliction. You know why? He had had a glimpse of heaven. And if we get a glimpse of heaven and we have our eyes on heaven, everything this world has to offer is nothing compared to the glory which is to come. Paul's letting Timothy know that suffering as an evildoer for the sake of the gospel shouldn't be a surprise, but you should suspect it. Again, remember Jesus. What did Jesus do? Think about this. How can anybody have a problem with Jesus? What did he do when he was here? He healed the sick. He freed the demon-possessed. He raised the dead. He fed the hungry. He comforted the brokenhearted. He had compassion on people. And how did they respond to him? They put him to death. So guys, we should not be ashamed of the gospel and we should not be surprised when we are persecuted. Jesus warned us in John 15, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Those who walk in darkness hate the light. They hate it. Go into a bar sometime with a halogen light in your hand and see how that works out. (laughs) He's throwing drink glasses at you or something, right? And here's the truth. As we stand for God, the world's not going to like it. So if you're saying, well, I get along with the world just fine, you better examine your walk. Amen? I I get along with the world. I got no problems, man. I never get persecuted. Okay, undercover Christian. (laughs) Time to come out of the closet, amen? People coming out of the closet for all kinds of other stuff. It's time for us to come out of the closet for Jesus Christ and not be ashamed of Him, amen? The resurrection was an affront to everyone. You know why? Because they were the ones who had had Him crucified. So when someone said, He's risen from the dead, then it would have to mean that they were wrong when they crucified Him. And they didn't like that. The Jews, the Romans, the Greeks, all of mankind did not like the fact that they were preaching the resurrection. But Paul, praise God, you got to love, hey, I suffer as an evildoer. Why? Because I teach the Word. Look what it says in the rest of that verse. I suffer as an evildoer even to the point of chains. But the Word of God is not chained. Paul says, they can chain me, they can't chain the Word. They can try to silence me, they can't silence the Bible. They can take prayer and the Word out of school, but they can't keep the Christians out. You know what, if we're there, the Word of God's there. If we're there, prayer's there, and should be, amen? Can I encourage you to tell your kids, pray anyway, amen? Read your Bible, take your Bible to school, it's okay. Wear Christian t-shirts, get in trouble for being too on fire for God, that's all right. My kids get in trouble for being on fire for God, they're getting a high five, not a spanking, amen? You know what's interesting? They can chain man, but they cannot chain the Word of God. The Bible has been attacked more than any other book throughout all of history. It's been burned, banned, mocked, twisted, and ignored, but the Word of God stands forever. Isaiah 40 says this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. There's no government, no religious authority, no skeptic, no scientist, no philosopher, no book burner has ever been able to stop the work or the Word of God. And you know what? Where the Word of God is bound most, and let me just say this from my heart, the way the Word of God is bound most is when those who call Him Father are reluctant to proclaim His Word. It's not when those who don't know Him attack it, but those of us who do know Him are ashamed of it. And again, my, my burden in the church today is, is that so many, you know, pulpits sound more like self-help books than the Word of God. So many messages use little Bible bits to spice up the message instead of making the Word of God the central focus of the message. The Word of God needs to be the wow of the message, Amen. You need to walk out of here thinking about what the Word of God says, having it impact and transform your life, not how funny somebody was, or how gifted somebody was, or what a great video clip they showed, or anything else. You should walk out of here thinking about and remembering Jesus. Amen? Verse 10 Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Paul, he's telling him, keep the main thing the main thing how to remain faithful remember jesus but also remember those he died for he's saying i endure all things for the sa- for the elect's sake the word endure in the greek is to abide to hold fast to bear bravely and calmly and not to flee paul said i endure all things for the sake of those who are going to be saved aren't you glad that others endured things that you might hear the gospel and we need to do the same. Don't put your light under a bushel. Oh, no. I'm going to let it shine. Amen? Hide under a bush. Oh, no. Right? Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to... Mrs. Green's class again, see? But Paul willingly endured chains and trials and suffering and would soon endure death that others might hear the truth and the love of God. Guys, if we love God and we love people we will not be ashamed of the very truth they need to hear years ago when i was still working full-time my boss called me into her office one time and told me i needed to dial down my christianity my christian stickers and my christian faith and my boldness to talk about jesus in sales meetings and and i you know i i I told her and i and she i think she knew already what the answer was going to be but i told her i said I said, let me ask you something. Her name was Terry. I said, Terry, let me ask you something. If everybody in this building was infected with a virus that was going to kill them all, and not only were they going to die, but they were going to go through a time of great torment and suffering and then eventually die, and somebody gave you the antidote, what would you do with it? Not only would you take it yourself, but wouldn't you try to give it to everybody else in the building? She said, of course. I said, what if they didn't want it? She said, I try to give it to him anyway. I said, guess what? There's a virus that's in the building, and the virus is called sin. And what's coming is eternal separation from Almighty God and torment that will last for all eternity. And we got the antidote. His name's Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to put it under a bushel. I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to be bold about it, and if you think you need to fire me, go right ahead. It's okay. God gave me this job, Will give me another one. But praise God, he had blessed me, and I was doing well at work, and they didn't want to fire me, so... <laughs> I loved her response. She goes, well, I didn't think that you were going to do anything, but I had to tell you. The good news is we ended the meeting with me praying with her and for her in her office. You know what? Paul had suffered. And he said, Timothy, don't be afraid to suffer. And I suffered not only for the sake of my Savior, but the sake of others that they might hear the gospel. Paul knew that a day and night in the deep meant that he was traveling on his way to yet another land where he was going to preach the gospel to people who had never heard Jesus' name before. When I go to India with Gospel for Asia, these guys suffer great things, but they know that they're bringing the good news to those who have never heard it. Paul was Christ-centered, others-centered, and had an eternal focus. You've heard me say this many times. Jesus, others, yourself. That's where you get joy. J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second yourself last and you'll have joy sadly many of us have yoj right (laughs) we put ourselves first but look what he says I endure these things why why do I endure these things that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus the word obtain means to hit the mark it's an archery term guys Where do we get the word sin? It's an archery term for the distance between the bullseye and where the arrow lands. It's called the sin distance. We have missed the mark. The bullseye is Christ. He alone has hit the target. And however far away, whether it's a mile or a million miles, we're separated from Him because we're all sinners. And praise God that He restores us so that we can hit the mark, not because of what we've done, but we are joined with Christ to hit the mark. Amen? And that's what the word obtain means, to hit the mark. That they may too obtain the salvation that I have received. Then He says there, and I love these words, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know what? Our salvation is not only salvation from wrath but glory in reigning with him guys it's an eternal glory guys we're not you know we don't become christians so that we live a better life here and now and though we will if we do but eternity is a long time i say to people often you're gonna be dead a lot longer in your life amen your life has been a bit of vapor and where you spend eternity is really what matters And you know what? It's an eternal glory. As we remember Jesus, we will remember His words and His commands to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. We are justified at salvation, sanctified as being set apart, and we will be glorified one day when we are with Him and we are like Him in heaven. Guys, how in the world can anything going on in this life compare to that? Why should we be bummed out? Yeah, ding in my car, man. I'm just totally bummed. You know what? The worst thing the world can do to you is the best thing that can happen to you. Amen? Can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? My God is in control. If He allows it to happen, He's going to use it for His glory. Let's trust Him. Let's learn to put our eyes on Him. You know what? When we have that eternal glory in our hearts and in our minds. His burden becomes our burden. His passion becomes our passion. Paul was far more concerned with the salvation of others than his own temporal well-being. Something he had learned from our Lord's example, seen also in the faithful, other faithful saints. It says this about other saints, Old Testament saints in Hebrews. Others were tortured, not, not accepting deliverance, that they might attain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. That's what the Lord says. That's what the Word of God says about those who are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. How could they do it? Because they had an eternal focus. Only way we can joyfully endure temporal suffering is to live life from an eternal perspective. Amen? If you set your eyes on things above and not on things of this earth, you won't be overwhelmed by stuff that's temporary in the light of what is eternal. So keep the main thing, the main thing, how to remain faithful in the midst of difficulty and persecution. Remember Jesus and those He died for. Point number two, remember His promises. Remember His promises. Look at verse 11. This is a faithful saying. Paul is constantly giving Timothy faithful sayings. But what I believe this means, and what most scholars believe, is that verse 11 through 13 is actually a hymn that they sang. So the early church sang these words. And it reminds them of a song that they sang and the meaning behind it. Doesn't it bless you when you worship God? Doesn't it take your focus off the things of this world when you're driving in your car and you're listening to worship music? I mean, I I, I could say my attitude is radically different. When I get in the car and I'm just singing praise songs as I drive around, it's amazing how I don't get mad when people cut me off when I'm praising God. Amen. <laughs> Paul is constantly giving him faithful sayings, things to pay attention to, things to remember, things to pass on. But these are words of a hymn that were of great comfort and encouragement to those living in the midst of great persecution. And so they should be for you and I today. Because as I worship, you know what it does? takes my eyes off of me and gets my eyes on Him. Off my circumstances and on His character. Off of my difficulties and on His love and grace and mercy. Off my weakness and on His greatness. My circumstances become insignificant in the light of what He has done. Now look at these, these seeming paradoxes here. Because as they begin this going through this hymn, he tells them first that death leads to life and suffering leads to reigning and glory. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense from the world's perspective. But when you have an eternal one, it does. It says there, if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. Now, there's a twofold interpretation of this verse. One speaks, I believe, of the transforming work of salvation. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So if I've been born again and I've died to myself, I'm now walking alive in Him. Those who don't know God are spiritually dead. That's why you don't date an unbeliever, right? You're dating a corpse, right? You understand that? You say that in youth group, don't be dragging a corpse into your living room. Mom and dad, here's my prom date. They'll think you're out of your mind, right? But here's the truth, that if we don't know God, we're spiritually dead. But when we're born again, we become new creations in Christ, alive in Him. And so if we died with Him, If we've been repentant and broken and received the work of the cross, we now live with Him. But also, I believe these words not only impact our will and our passions and our lives here and now, in the context, I believe, He's speaking to those who are about to be martyred. He's speaking to those who could lose their life at any moment, and Paul himself is speaking as he's about to die, and he says these words. Now, it's easy to say this when you know, you're young and healthy and got everything together. Yeah, to die, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Yeah, it's really good. If I die with him, I'll live with him. It's another thing to say it when you could be days away from dying. And Paul, is that's where he's at. And Paul says, if I die with him, I'm going to live with him. You know what? When we die with him, we're not dead. Amen. For the Christian, death isn't something morbid to be feared, but it's something that is truly glorious to be looked forward to. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We close our eyes on earth and we open them up in heaven, and which view do you think is better? It's just moving day to a much better location. And my favorite verse in the Bible does say this, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christians die well. For us, death has no sting. These words are easily spoken when we think death is far off. But here, Paul is exhorting them as it could be in his life just days away. It's amazing what a Christ-centered eternal perspective can do to a heart, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. He's remembering Jesus. He's remembering His promises. And it's transformed His outlook on everything in life. If we died with Him, we shall live with Him. I can't wait. I'm going to lose this dead, dying tent. That's why you got to get up and take a shower and put deodorant on every day, because you're dying. Amen? But you know what? One of these days, we're going to leave this dead tent behind. And we're going to have glorified bodies and be in His presence. Then it says, if we endure, we shall also reign with Him. The hymn goes on to assure the temporarily faithful believer of the eternal reward. If you're temporarily faithful here and now, there's a greater reward to come. The word endure, in some of your translations, you may look at it, it says suffer. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. Again, this suffering will reap an eternal reward. It assures us that our present suffering and difficulty is worth enduring. Again, 2 Corinthians 4. For our light affliction, which is for but a moment, works for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Again, our light affliction, you might say, my my afflictions aren't light, mine are heavy. I read Paul's list to you earlier. How are you stacking up to that one? And he is the one saying, our light affliction. Nobody's going to get to heaven and say, Lord, you were just kind of rough on me down there. We're going to say, thank you, Lord. Amen? Thank you for your grace. I can't believe how gracious you were with me. Compared to our heavenly reward, all is but light affliction. Then it says, we will reign with Him. Now, does this blow your mind? This is speaking of the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign on earth, and we get to reign with the Lord. Now, this is not because He needs our help. We reign with Him because He's a gracious God. So we've blown it. We're sinners. We've, we've get, we look at our sinful lives and we think, what a disaster I've been. But praise God that by His grace, He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Our sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. And we are righteous in Him, made holy through His blood. And He's going to raise us up after saving us, dying for us, paying the price we couldn't pay. And then He's going to reward us and let us reign with Him. What a great God we serve. We don't deserve any of that. Amen? You're worried about your job promotion. You're going to be reigning with Almighty God over the universe. How's that? How's that sound for a promotion you don't deserve? Amen? And praise God. Let's have an eternal focus and not a temporal one. What a gracious God. Saves us, gives us, and dwells us, and then blesses us. Now, the final warning. If we deny Him, He will deny us. While He indeed is a God of incredible grace... He will not force His grace on us. The word deny there is contradict, deny, refuse, reject. It says in Matthew, Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. It's interesting, and I I, I hesitate to mention it, but I will. There's a thing on the internet right now that someone sent to me called the blasphemy challenge. And it's, they're giving away prizes for people who will come on and upload to YouTube blaspheming Jesus, the Heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit. And if you do it, we'll give you prizes. And it has, a, has all these teenagers who have done it, and it is heartbreaking. They even quote, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you can never be forgiven. And you have these 14 and 15 and 17 and 12-year-olds going, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I blaspheme the name of Jesus. I reject. I don't believe there is a God. Now, here's the good news. They can still get saved, and I'm praying for them. How about you? But here's here's the thing, guys. God will not force heaven on anyone. And He's not going to force salvation on anyone. He will reach out to us in love, and while salvation is offered universally, it must be accepted individually. He will not force it down your throat. He will not make you become a Christian, but He will reach out to you in love, but He will honor you and give you whatever you choose. If you say, I don't want it, I don't want the Christ, I don't need it, I don't care, I blaspheme your name, I reject you. In the end, we'll be given what we've asked for. I believe there won't be one person in heaven, or in hell, excuse me, who hasn't run over the cross of Christ hundreds of times to get there. Don't need it, don't need it, don't need it. And then eventually God gives him. Last verse. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Isn't that good? We're faithless, he's still faithful. Even if we are faithless, unbelieving hypocrites, he will still be faithful to his word. God is faithful because he cannot be anything other than who he is. He cannot de- deny his character of love and grace and mercy, but also his righteous judgment. He is who he is, regardless of what men think of him. All the scientists in the world can get together and vote and decide that there is no God, and guess what? There still is one. Well, we had it. We took a vote and we decided there's no God. Well we voted there, there's just no gravity. and we'll step off a 50-story building and see how that works out for you. It's not what you believe that matters. The truth is the truth whether you believe it or not. Amen? And God is still God no matter what people say. They can vote people out of office, but they can't take God off the throne. He's still God. He will always be God. He is who He is and has nothing to do with what people think about Him or say about Him. He is righteous. He is holy. He is all-powerful, all-knowing God, whether you believe in Him or not. God doesn't conform to our will. We're conformed to His. Well, I think God should... What you think about God? Irrelevant. But I just think that if, you know, my God wouldn't do that because my God... You know, yeah, your God wouldn't because your God doesn't exist. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But my God, you know, I think, you know, I, I just, you know... Get over yourself already. You're not God. There, there lies the problem. You need to realize you're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, not telling God what to do. I've heard people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have some questions for God. No, you're not. You're going to be flat on the ground going, oh, right? (laughs) Every one of us. We need to put our faith in Him, our hope in Him, our trust in Him, because He's faithful and we're not. Amen? But He can make us faithful as He rules and reigns in our life. We need to come to Him not on our terms, but on His terms through His Son. I'll end with this quote. Hudson Taylor, a great missionary, said this, It is not us trying to be faithful but in looking to the faithful one that we have victory. It's not us trying to be faithful in our efforts, but us looking to the faithful one that brings victory in our lives. Guys, quit trying to be faithful in your own efforts. Get your eyes off of you. Get your eyes on Him. And remember Jesus. Amen? No matter what. So in closing, keep the main thing the main thing, how to remain faithful in the midst of difficulty, trials, and persecutions. Remember Jesus and those He died for. And remember His promises. He's a faithful God. And He loves you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, of the promises within it. We thank You, Lord, that You are risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. We thank You, Lord, that we do not go through the trials of life alone. We thank You, Lord, for the promise of heaven that we don't deserve. We thank You that You are a God of love and grace and mercy, a God of holiness and righteousness, a God of great character. We thank You, Lord, that when we are faithless, You remain faithful. Lord, help us to remember You, to remember Your Son, to walk in obedience to Your Spirit as we live out this daily life. Lord, we thank You that we've been justified just as if we've never sinned. Lord, I pray you would continue to do that work of sanctification in our lives. I hadn't planned to do this, and you know what? Eternity is hanging in the balance, so we can take a moment. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. I'm not asking you to join a church or just to ask Him to be your Savior, but to truly make Him Lord. The Bible says, again, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So all I'm going to ask you to do is to know and understand and, and say, I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. And I ask Him to be my Savior. I come broken and repentant before Him. And the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. And that's a promise. So if you're here today, God brought you here by divine appointment. And I'm not going to ask you, uh, if you're a Christian, be praying for those who don't know the Lord. I'm going to ask you to do something really simple. Just raise your hand and say, will you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I want my sin forgiven. Is there anybody here at all? That's your desire. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Today's the day of salvation. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? He loves you guys so much. He's such a faithful God. Heavenly Father, we come before you. You've seen those that have raised their hands, Lord. If you raise your hand, I just want you to repeat with me. You can do it silently or out loud, but God knows your heart. Just repeat these simple words. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning And I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. To make me a new creation in Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. That He died on the cross. That He rose from the dead. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Help me to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand and close our worship song. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says if you mean it, if you believe in your heart and confess your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved in the glory of the Father. The Bible says when one person is saved on earth that all the angels in heaven rejoice. So that means there's a party up in heaven right now. And so if, if you made that profession this morning, as we're playing this last worship song, it would be great if you can come up and talk to one of the pastors. Pastor Dan's over here. We just have something to give you. We want to answer your questions, pray for you if we can. Let's close in a worship song. And i stand in all. I'll stand in awe of you. And I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so